When I was in high school and in junior high, every summer my family took a vacation to my grandparents' uh, cabin in Indiana. And uh, it was pretty much one of the highlights, if not the highlight of every summer. Because we'd go out there, we'd get up in the mornings, uh, we'd fish, at least some of us. We'd get up and we'd go fishing. We'd come back, we'd eat breakfast, and then we'd spend all day out on a boat, skiing, tubing, going out to the sandbar, throwing the football around. Uh, and then at night we'd come back after dinner and we'd make a bonfire and we sit out and we have s'mores. Uh, and it was, like I said, the highlight of our summer. We thought it was just the best thing ever. We did it for, I don't know, six to eight years. And every year we invited more and more people with uh, because we thought it was just that great. And by the time we stopped going, uh, I think the highest number of people we had out there was 25. Why? Because we truly believed the more the merrier. The more people could come, the better time we'd have, the more uh, they could share in our fun, our excitement, and the more fun and excitement we'd have because of it. And the crazy thing is that when I say a cabin, I literally mean a cabin. We're not talking about a lake house. We're talking about a one-story, two-bedroom, one-bath cabin uh, with a very small kitchen and a very small living room. People slept on the floor. People slept on top of each other. We were all over the place uh, just to fit in this cabin because we thought the more, the merrier. And everyone who came out agreed. They wanted to come back year after year to be part of it because it was so much fun. Now, maybe you hear that, and that is just the most stressful thing to you. Uh, I know for Anne, for instance, that is not a fun time. <laughs> Having that many people in such a small area is, is a little stressful for her. And so it might be stressful for you to think about that, 25 people, one bathroom. Uh, but... I'm sure there are things in your life, experiences that you've had, restaurants that you like, maybe a place in your house, uh, maybe a vacation destination that you have, that you believe the more the merrier. When you bring people with, it excites you. It's joyful. Why? Because you're so excited about this thing that you want other people to experience the joy that you have because of it. Now, we might not agree on vacation destinations and we might not agree on the restaurants we think the more the merrier, but we all have a message that is the greatest, most fun, I will say that because it is, exciting and joyful thing that we have ever experienced. And that message is the forgiveness of sins. That message is that when we die, heaven is ours. And that's what we're going to talk about today in Luke chapter 24. Today is, in the Christian church year, Ascension Day, when Jesus ascends into heaven. And this is just the craziest part of it all. Jesus leaves us here with this message to go and tell others. And we get the joy of inviting them. We're in Luke chapter 24, the very end of the Gospel of Luke, the good news of Jesus. Uh, Luke is one of those four books of the Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that look at Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. Jesus has already risen from the dead, and after he rises from the dead, he's on earth for 40 days. And Luke summarizes those 40 days with these ending verses that we're looking at. And so we're at the end of Luke chapter uh, 24, Jesus' last 
40 days on earth. And here's what we're told. He said to them, Jesus said to them, This is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He told them, This is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead, and on the third day, and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. Jesus says all Scripture must be fulfilled. And then he points to the Law of Moses, the Prophets, and the Psalms. Uh, That was the common expression for the Old Testament. Uh, During Jesus' time, they didn't call the Old Testament the Old Testament. They called it the Law of Moses, the Prophets, and the Psalms. Uh, This is encompassing all of the Hebrew Scriptures. And Jesus says all of it needed to be fulfilled. It has all now been fulfilled. Oh, and by the way... Everything is written about me, Jesus says. Jesus says all the Old Testament points to Him. And everything in the Old Testament that was written about Him has now been fulfilled. What's been written about Him? Well, what's the point of Scripture? What's the whole point? What's the whole story about? It really can be summarized as a love story between God and His people, right? A love story of a rescue mission that God was on. God created human beings to be the crown of His creation, to be the very special part of His creation that He loved dearly. Uh, He did not create us to be like the lion. He did not create us to be like the monkey or a turtle or a crocodile. He created us as human beings to walk with Him, to talk with Him, to have a peaceful, harmonious relationship with Him. But then Adam and Eve sinned, right? They they broke that trust that God had and broke the relationship. And now... God can't physically walk with them. God couldn't physically talk with them face to face because if He did, they would die. Sin and God cannot coexist in the same place. And God said, even though you humans broke this relationship, even though you really should be the ones making up for the relationship, I'm going to take care of it. And in Genesis chapter 3, God gives us that first sign. He says, to the snake, to the serpent, the devil, I'm going to send someone from the woman's line to crush you. 2000 BC, what does Scripture tell us? God came to Abraham, the father of the Jewish nation, and said, someone from your line is going to come and I'm going to bless all nations on earth because of him. 1000 BC, he appears to King David and says, King David, I'm going to establish your throne forever. Your kingdom will never end. Someone is going to sit on your throne and it will never end. Today, do you know who's ruling King David's throne in Israel? Nobody. King David's line, from an earthly perspective, is no longer ruling. Not here on earth. 700 B.C., Isaiah the prophet, in his prophecy in chapter 53, says about this person that God is going to send, how he's going to fix this relationship. What's he say? I'm going to send somebody and he's going to be pierced for our transgressions. He's going to be crushed 
for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace with God is going to be on Him, and by His wounds, we are healed. You see, all the Old Testament points ahead to Jesus. Because all the Old Testament points ahead to how God is going to fix our relationship. Again, God says, you screwed up. You ruined this. I'm going to fix it. And how? I'm going to send somebody to fix it. And He reveals a little bit more at a time who this person is going to be. And it's Jesus. And Jesus said, I have fulfilled everything. So what? That's all a lot of good information, right? But why? Well, here's why. Your first point today. Jesus believes when it comes to heaven, the more the merrier. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, our triune God, the Trinity. Jesus looks around heaven and and what's He say? It would be better if you're here. It would be better if this whole place was filled with people. But in order for the whole place to be filled with people, their sins have to be forgiven. They cannot be sinful. And so Jesus came and He was pierced. His hands and His feet pierced to that cross. He was crushed and He was punished with hell for us. And now God says, Come. Heaven is open. And Jesus says, The more the merrier. Come. Your sins are forgiven. Heaven is yours. This is the good news of the Gospel. When we say the Gospel, the Gospel is not something we have to do. The Gospel is something that's been done for us. It's good news. And the good news is your sins are forgiven. And heaven is yours. And when you have good news, what do you want to do? You want to tell somebody, right? As I failed to demonstrate in the children's (laughs) devotion this morning. (laughs) But have you ever had somebody call you and tell you really exciting news and and, and you're just, it it kind of, you feel it burning inside of you and and as you're hearing it, you're thinking of all the people that you're going to call and tell and then they say, oh, but don't tell anybody. Isn't that just the worst? You have this burning excitement inside of you and all you want to do is call and tell somebody, but you can't because they said, don't tell anybody. The disciples just heard the most joyful news ever. And here's what Jesus tells them. You, Jesus says, are witnesses of these things. I'm going to send you what my Father has promised. That's the Holy Spirit. We looked at that last week, right? Jesus promised the Holy Spirit. And and Jesus says, I'm going to send you what the Father promised. But stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. Jesus says to His disciples, you are witnesses of these things. I'm going to send you to tell others about it. When you stop and think about it, how many people understood that the Old Testament all pointed to Jesus? Eleven men standing around Jesus right then, right? That's it. Imagine being one of them. You're one of the eleven who finally understand what all the Old Testament Scriptures are about. That they pointed ahead to Jesus. You're one of the the only eleven who understand that your sins are forgiven. That you don't have to work for God's favor. That you now have a peaceful relationship with God because of Jesus. You are one of those eleven. Of course you want to go and tell everyone about it. Because it's the most joyful thing you've ever heard. And you finally get it. 
Jesus says, go. Tell them about forgiveness. Go. Tell them heaven is open. Go. Tell them they are at peace with God. They don't have to continue doing the sacrifices. They don't have to uh, tithe just to get in a good relationship with God. They are in a good relationship with God. They're at peace because their sins are forgiven because of Jesus. That's what Jesus says to us too. We are His witnesses to go out and tell people about this good news, to tell them about the forgiveness of sins. And yet when you hear that, are you filled with the same excitement and joy that you get when somebody calls you and tells you exciting news? Are you filled with joy to the point of wanting to go and tell the first person that you see about this? Are you filled with joy to where you want to pick up the phone and, and call somebody to tell them it's exciting news? I can't answer for you, but I can answer for myself. And not all the time. And the reason is your second point. Sometimes the good news becomes the old news. At one point in your life, this message of the forgiveness of sins, that you have peace with God, was just the best news ever. And you couldn't get enough of it. But just like everything else in life, what happens eventually? Eventually that good news becomes the old news. Yeah, pastor, I know it. You tell me every Sunday my sins are forgiven. I get it. I know I'm going to heaven. I know Jesus died for me. Yes, is it good news? Of course. But I know it. It's old news. And what slips into our hearts? Apathy. Apathy towards this good news. We know it. And when apathy comes into our hearts, guess what leaves? Joy and excitement. And that's what we see in our actions, right? Our heart is filled with apathy towards this good news. And we demonstrate it in our lives. Have you ever found yourself in a a religious conversation and steering it away from religious and spiritual conversation? Because you know eventually they're going to ask you what you believe and and then you're going to feel obligated to tell them that you believe in Jesus as your Savior and and your sinful nature in you, that that part that likes to sin, uh, is embarrassed and feels a little awkward and so you rather not deal with that so I'm just going to steer the conversation elsewhere. In Psalm 51, King David says that uh, to God, he's talking to God, he says, Against you, you only have I sinned. And yet we have people sinning against us every day, right? Our kids disobey us. Our spouses say mean things to us. Parents, you wrongfully uh, lose your, your patience with your kids and yell at them when maybe they didn't even do anything wrong. Your co-workers betray your trust. People sin against us again and again. And when they apologize to us, how do we respond? Generally one of two ways, right? We either hold it against them and hold it over their head, or we say, I forgive you. Which is good. But what does Psalm 51 say? Against God and God alone have we sinned. When was the last time we witnessed to somebody that their sins are forgiven because Jesus died for them? When was the last time you told your spouse Jesus forgives you? 
When was the last time you told your kids, Jesus forgives you? Why do we not? Is it because there's a part of us that doesn't want to come across as a Bible-thumping Christian and, oh, uh, you're being one of those. Uh, Okay, just tell me you forgive me. You don't have to tell me Jesus forgives me. I know that. And we're afraid. How many times don't we come to, to church and we hear a message like this and, and Jesus tells us, hey, you're, you're my witness? And we view it more as a burden than a joy. Oh, great. Now I have to go out and tell people about Jesus. And I'll be honest with you. These are sometimes the hardest messages to prepare. Because I feel like I'm burdening you. I, there are times where I'd much rather be up here talking about money. Because money is just between you and God, and I'm just relaying the message. Uh, what I'm telling you today, what Jesus is telling you, is it's between you, God, and another person. And so it feels like a burden to tell you this. Why? Because I've become apathetic to the message in my heart. Because I forget that the good news is good news, not old news. That hornet, man. <laughs> Because I forget that the good news is good news. I forget that Jesus was pierced in His hands and on His feet for, for my sins. Not, no, not anybody else's sin, but my sin. It was my sin that held Him there. I forget that without my Savior Jesus, all I have to look forward to is hell. I forget that if it isn't for Jesus, my life is very dim and dark. That there's absolutely no hope. That it's only pain and suffering in this life and and loss and then eventually I'm going to die and and that's the end of my earthly life. And then I only have eternity and hell to look forward to where there's only pain and suffering, where there's only anger and rage and wrath and that's it. I forget what my Savior Jesus did for me. And that's the key to all this, isn't it? How do you keep the good news fresh and exciting? It's by meditating on what my life would look like if Jesus wasn't here. If Jesus never came. What would that mean for me? Doom and destruction. But He did come. He did fulfill all Scripture. He did crush that Satan's, the serpent's head as He died on the cross. He did bless all nations through Abraham. He did establish the throne of King David. He is ruling and will continue to rule. And of course, he was pierced and crushed and punished. And through uh, his life and death, we are at peace with God. Oh, what good news. And now Jesus says, go. Be my witnesses to these things. And that's what he tells the disciples as he leads them out. When he had led them out to the vicinity of Bethany, he lifted up his hands and blessed them. While he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. Then they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And they stayed continually at the temple, praising God. Jesus leads the disciples out to to Bethany, uh, and there's a hill right outside of Bethany. And as he's standing out there, he lifts up his hands and blessing them, and then he just starts ascending into heaven, like a helium balloon. He's just going up, 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 and then a cloud covers him. And how do the disciples react? 
angry, frustrated, confused? Not at all. What do the disciples do? They worship Him and they're filled with great joy. Why? Because Jesus has ascended to His throne. Jesus, the God of this world, is not restricted by time and space like He is when He's on earth. Jesus is now all places at all times ruling all things for the good of His people. Jesus has fulfilled all of Scripture so that our sins are forgiven and that heaven is ours. Jesus is now on His throne as He sends His disciples out to witness. And that's true for you too. No matter where you go, no matter what you do, Jesus, the God of this world, is on His throne and He is with you in all circumstances. Every conversation you have, Jesus is standing by you. Every time you speak His Word, Jesus is by you. Every time somebody comes up to you, Jesus has already been working on that person's heart, waiting for you to tell them about the forgiveness of sins. It's pretty crazy. It's a bold strategy from Jesus that that He would take human beings like you and me and say, go spread the message so that my heaven, my home, can be filled because the more the merrier. And yet that's the joy that we have. One of the disciples who heard this uh, was a guy named John. And John, towards the end of his life, had a revelation and it's recorded for us. And in chapter 7 of that revelation, uh, God gives John a picture of what heaven looks like. And here's what he saw. Oh, I'm sorry, I forgot the last point. The ascended Jesus is with us as we witness. No matter where you go, Jesus is with you. Here's what John saw. After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands, and they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. What does heaven look like? A great multitude that no one can count. Where from? Every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne and before the Lamb. Jesus said, you know what would make heaven better? If you were there and all people were here. If people were here with me. And that's what Jesus did. He's forgiven your sins so that you can be part of this great multitude. Part of the more the merrier. What a day that's going to be as we stand before the throne of God and we see Jesus our Savior. We get to talk with Him, walk with Him, be at peace with Him again forever. And what a day it's going to be when we look over and we see that person that we told the Gospel to. And what joy is going to fill our hearts as they look at us with a smile on their face and a tear in their, ear, in their eye and they say, Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. That joy will be yours on that day. It's a joy that we have now. God be with you this week as you grow in this message and as you uh, witness to others as God brings people into your lives to tell them about the forgiveness of sins. Let's pray. Dear Ascended Jesus, we thank you for accomplishing everything and fulfilling all of Scripture for us uh, so that our sins are forgiven and heaven is ours. 
We ask that uh, as we live our lives this week that you bring people into our lives and then give us the courage to boldly proclaim the forgiveness of sins and explain Scripture just like Philip explained Scripture to the Ethiopian eunuch. Be with us, give us the words to say. Uh, Send us the Holy Spirit so that uh, we have understanding and wisdom in all circumstances and empower us to be your witnesses. We ask all this in your name. Amen.